Welcome to the Empowering Health Journeys podcast, the podcast that just might challenge your association between the diagnosis and the prognosis, where you might be inspired to try a new superfood, supplement, or herb. Please understand we do not assess, diagnose, treat, prescribe, or cure. We do encourage you to consider what possibilities today's topic might add to your health and wellness journey. everyone and welcome to this week's edition of Empowering Health Journeys podcast. Thank you for joining me. I'm looking forward to our time together. And please remember that I really appreciate community. I love community. So come join us over at EHJ, which stands for Empowering Health Journeys. Join us over Facebook, EHJ Let's Talk Health. And so with that, let's get into this week's topic. So I made a commitment to self and to you, my listeners, as of the first part of November, that each month, one of the episodes that I would release would be talking about Know Your Health Numbers. And it's going to be quite the little journey by the time we get through it, but I'm definitely not trying to deal with it all in one podcast episode. So it's time again for an installment of Know Your Health Numbers. Last month's topic was around the discussion of knowing your body mass index and knowing your waist circumference ratio. So that's what we talked about in November of 2020. Now, in December of 2020, we are going to talk about sleep and blood pressure. Ironically, sleep has come up several times in the last eh, two plus months or so. So with that, then I'm going to jump right into it and respect your time. Let's get after this. So I'm going to have to share this graphic, this image within EHJ Let's Talk Health. And let me make a note of that so I don't forget what I've promised you because I have a way of putting too many things on my plate and I'm sorry. So I'm just going to do the picture of all the different body systems. And right now I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Yeah, there's eleven, not twelve here. That's why I'm glad I counted. See, I can count really well. Well, thank you. I passed. <laughs> so, anyways, sorry, body systems. There is the integumentary. Oh, I just butchered that one. It's fundamentally, it is the skin, it is the protective layer that receives the sensory input. Now, when you think skin, remember that the skin inside your mouth, down through your esophagus, right down into your stomach, right through your intestinal tract, right back through to the back door, is all a form of specialized skin. Another system is cardiovascular. Another one is lymphatic and immune. Another one is digestive. Another one respiratory. Another one urinary. Another one skeletal. Another one muscular. Another one nervous. Another one endocrine. And the last one is reproductive. 
Now, why do I point these out? Because there is a lot of intermingling, dancing. It's a very interesting, beautiful, and convoluted dance that our body, our machine, plays out and is why I'm having today's discussion regarding Know Your Health Numbers and the topics of sleep and blood pressure. So let's put a little bit of a foundation behind sleep before we continue on here. It is considered an essential part of life and is not a luxury. Sleep deprivation or shortages, when we have those scenarios, we begin to see compromise in nearly every body, major body system. So remember some of the ones that I just talked about? The brain, the endocrine, and the nervous systems are both affected by sleep shortages. The heart, the cardi cardiovascular system. Did you know that the brain makes up, I've got a note here that says geek moment. The brain makes up 2% of the body weight, but makes up needs, sorry, 15 to 20% of the blood supply. I think that's pretty cool. And then we have the lymphatic and the immunitary immune system. So with that said, sleep directly affects those systems. So it's pretty critical for our health and our wellness, for our mind and our body. Remember that sleep is when our body and our mind recharge, rejuvenate, rebuild, regenerate. So what's happening while we sleep? bone in the bone. Wear and tear is reversed by intensified bone building while we sleep. Less sleep means the pancreas will weaken, which means it is less able to break down the sugars in our diet. Skin. During sleep, cells emit growth factors to repair cellular damage and maintain elasticity. That's why some of us, when we get a little low on sleep, Get a little on the beauty stuff. So get your beauty sleep is extremely valid. Our livers, that's when they rejuvenate is during our sleep. Sometime between the um, hours typically for the average individual with a relatively normal sleep pattern, then between one and three is when our livers go into high regeneration mode. Muscles recover from injuries, including workout, the workout kind. Remember the lactic acid thing? That happens when you're asleep. And our brain, the cells shrink and perform what they call a ring out the dirty spun action while we're sleeping. Without enough sleep, the brain cannot function properly. Our ability to concentrate, think clearly, and process memories is impaired. Think about what happens during daylight savings time. Think about what happens when work schedules, if you are a shift worker, and how hard that can be on your um, health and wellness. Think about what day-to-day -day stressors can be disruptive to the bedroom environment, and what medical conditions can prevent us from getting enough sleep. Since it, we're talking about know your health numbers. Well, what's too much? What's, what's enough? 
Let's have a look at that. Just before one last seed of thought is a study that was performed since 2018 indicates that sleep deprivation in mice can cause death faster than starvation can. Sleep deprivation in mice can cause death faster than starvation can. Kind of a bit of a holy schmack. Let's talk about some of the numbers for the littlest of our littles in our society, as well as us adults, because probably we're an adult if we're listening in on this. Babies, sorry, between four to 11 months need 12 to 15 hours. Those little littles need a lot of snoozing. Toddlers, one to two-year-olds, 11 to 14 hours. Preschool, three to five-year-olds, 10 to 13 hours. They're still in that bucket of time. We've got the crossover there. So preschoolers, so our kindergarten littles are still needing 10 to 13 hours sleep a night. Elementary school, six to 13 year olds need nine to 11 hours of sleep. Teenagers, 14 to 20 year olds need nine to 10 hours sleep a night. Adults, need seven to nine hours. So one of the, I'll use the word argument for lack of a better phrase, is, yeah, no, but I catch up on the weekend. Well, let's do some redneck math here and say that you get approximately six hours sleep, five to six nights a week. And then on Saturday night, Sunday morning, you get nine plus hours sleep. Do your average, and it'll still come out, under seven. The average amount of sleep you're supposed to be getting is seven to nine hours. You don't get to make comments like, yeah, I'll sleep when I die. That deprivation is causing you, is shorting, shortening your lifespan. So how sleep deprivation or less than ideal quantities, average quantities of sleep, what's going to happen here? Research, more than one study, suggests that the quality and quantity of sleep improves your odds of recovery from cancer. The quality and quantity of your sleep decreases ADHD issues. It alleviates and or lessens depression. Why do you think there are sleep clinics specifically for disease, dis-ease topics including diabetes, obesity, and heart failure. Your sleep is not just kind of important. What was the saying with the mice? Sleep deprivation can cause death faster than starvation can. Why do you think they use sleep deprivation as an interrogation tactic? And don't argue with me right now and say, yeah, no, but that's illegal to do that. <laughs> what game is being played in war? It's kind of like, we'll deal with the consequences later. Right now, we need the information. Sad, but real. So consider ways, and I've got, had done a separate um, episode regarding sleep and some of the things that you can look at within the environment, the temperature, the sounds, the um, circadian um, rhythm, and how you can manage that. REM sleep versus non-REM, 
that's not for this episode, for this podcast, but know that sleep is really important. Next topic is blood pressure. So, so high blood or blood pressure. So we've known for quite some time. We've heard our parents, probably even our grandparents, talking about high blood pressure and what it means, what what kind of a health concern it might be. Let's step back for a second and do a little bit of clarification. So the doctor takes, or more likely the nurse, sorry, takes your blood pressure and it's expressed as a measurement with two numbers. The top number or the first number is considered the systolic and the second number or the bottom number is considered the diastolic. The best way to keep these two straight is that the top number or the systolic is when your heart is working and the diastolic is when your heart is at rest. So they refer to it as the top numbers, the amount of pressure in your arteries during, <clears throat> excuse me, during the contraction of your heart, that's the systolic, the top number, and the bottom number is your blood pressure when the heart muscle is between beats or resting, that's the diastolic or the second number. So their comment is, numbers greater than the ideal range indicate that your heart is working too hard to pump blood to the rest of your body. Oh, and that MMHG has something to do with how much pressure to move a column of mercury one millimeter is the best way to describe it. So that's how that pressure measurement is. I thought that was kind of cool. That's about the best. I'm going to remember how that works. So what's considered normal is systolic is below 120. Diastolic is below 80. So ideally, a little less than 120 over 80. Elevated is 120 to 129 over below 80. High blood pressure, what they call stage one, is 130 to 139 over 80 to 89. Stage two, high blood pressure, is 140 or higher over 90 or higher. They talk about an and or in these scenarios, but without seeing it, then it gets extremely complicated. What they consider to be a hypertensive crisis is greater than 180 and or over above 120. That is what is considered a hypertensive crisis state. So their comment is, is that if you're in the normal range, then no medical intervention is needed. Maintain your healthy lifestyle, maintain your healthy weight to prevent the hypertension. Regular exercise, healthy eating, are all aspects of it. 
I would add things like mindfulness regarding state of mind, state of stress. So when you, if you were experiencing any of these, it could mean that you have hit a hypertensive state of health emergency. Do you remember what the symptoms are? Chest pain. And not necessarily all of these, some version of these. Shortness of breath, visual changes, symptoms of strokes like such as paralysis or part of muscle, loss of muscle control in the face or an extremity, blood in your urine, dizziness, headaches are all indications that your numbers are dangerously high. So some things you can do is reducing your sodium intake, reducing your caffeine, what are you doing for exercise and movement, maintain a healthy weight, which goes back to knowing those weight numbers, knowing your waist circumference ratio, managing your stress, reducing alcohol intake and quitting smoking. Now, there are some of us, I happen to fall into this category, which is considered low blood pressure or hypotension. That tends to be where the blood pressure readings are in the range of 90 over 60 or below. I'm not quite that low, but they definitely make comments whenever my blood pressure is taken. And it's not because I'm a super athlete because I'm not no super athlete. It does mean though that my blood pressure is too low to properly supply my body and my heart with enough oxygenated blood. Some potential causes of hypotension could be heart problems, dehydration, pregnancy, blood loss, a severe infection of some type, anaphylaxis, malnutrition, endocrine problems, and certain medications. For some of you that know me, then I am an advocate of adrenal fatigue, or that is my primary focus as a health coach. That would be the endocrine. That is. So now as we think about some of these symptoms, some of these issues, some of these consequences, think about which body systems have been affected regarding blood pressure. So they make some causes, uh, so they make some comments regarding blood pressure and are you at risk for higher blood pressure or having higher blood pressure? You are older than the age of 65. About 50% of people older than 65 have blood pressure. I would hope that we'd be seeing that trend drop as we see our society get more conscious about our health. You're at a higher risk if you have health relatives with high blood pressure. You're at a higher risk depending on some of your heritage. It might be possibly African, South Asian, or First Nations tend to have higher blood pressure. I wonder what percentage or what the Rubik's Cube of that looks like as compared to our Western society diet. If you're a male, more likely to develop high blood pressure over a female. But as a female, 
our risk increases after menopause. And because we tend not to be aware of it, which is why I'm sharing with you, then we're actually even at a greater um, risk. What are the primary causes of high blood pressure? Some of the primary ones are too much salt in the diet, drinking alcohol excessively, being overweight, insufficient exercise, experiencing unmanageable amounts of stress. Secondary causes of high blood pressure include kidney disease, hormone disorders, some drugs such as birth control or anti-steroid, -ster sleep apnea, and arterial sclerosis, which is the hardening of the arteries. And by now you guys should know me that half the time I butcher scientific words or high medical words, so sorry. So some of the symptoms of the high, again, is headache, shortness of breath, breath, <laughs> shortness of breath, tiredness, nausea, and vomiting, and the low blood pressure, the dizzy, dizziness, fainting, cold and sweaty or clammy skin, tiredness, blurry vision, and nausea. It's typically diagnosed by somebody taking your blood pressure with an inflatable cuff. I really have to admit that I really am not a fan of that sensation. I find it quite strange, but I also respect that I want to stay on top of that information. And you know what? I was just thinking that it's probably time I went down to the local drugstore and put my arm in one of those cuffs and recorded that information. That would be a good habit to get into. If you struggle somewhat, with blood pressure issues, you should probably have a cuff, a monitor machine at home. Some of their suggestions are testing at the same time of day, testing or checking would be a better phrase before you take medications, checking before you bath, doing it after you use, use the toilet, at least two hours after heavy activity, at least 30 minutes after smoking, at least 30 minutes after caffeine, and their suggestion is sit and rest for five minutes before you take that reading. That's some nice, easy ways to monitor it. So one last article I wanted to bring to your awareness is a Hypertension Canada's 2018 Guidelines for the Management of Hypertension in Pregnancy. Hypertension is pre in pregnancy is common, affecting approximately 7% of pregnancies in Canada. 7% of pregnancies. And the results or the consequences to our health, the health of the mother and the health of the little, both inside and outside, are kind of scary. So I'm just going to quickly go through that. So hypertensive disorders of pregnancy represent a broad range of conditions, including chronic hypertension, 
gestational hypertension, which is what develops after 20 weeks into the pregnancy, or preeclampsia and eclampsia, which is during, which includes other organs at that point in time. It can have a major effect on the maternal, fetal, and the new one, including fetal growth restriction, preterm delivery, fetal and neonatal morbidity, and mortality. After pregnancy, emerging evidence shows that women with a high hypertensive disorder pregnancy, during pregnancy, of pregnancy, represent a higher risk population for developing further cardiovascular issues, chronic kidney disease, premature cardiovascular disease, and cardiovascular mortality. So it's relevant. It's critical. And I'm not, that's enough of this to understand that there's some frightening aspects of this. So with that said, that wraps up this month's episode of Empowering Health Journeys podcast and wraps up also this installment of Know Your Health Numbers. So we've now gone over body mass index, waist circumference ratio, sleep, and blood pressure. I hope this is some food for thought and I would love to see, hear, read your feedback on in the Facebook group, EHJ, Let's Talk Health. What, what's your insight? What's your take on this? What other numbers should we probably be considering within all of this? I, I would love to have a conversation. So take care. Stay out of trouble is my favorite phrase. And until next week, have a good one. Look after yourself. Know your numbers. Bye for now. As we wrap up this episode, then we welcome you to check out the Empowering Health Journeys website, Facebook page, and group. On the site, you will find links for guest goodies, their info, as well as that of our advertisers and sponsors. Please feel free to share and subscribe to this podcast to stay in the information loop. And the five-star rating and review would be appreciated. We hope that you're feeling inspired because empowering health journeys, it's kind of our jam or salad. <laughs>